0: It's not that life is always sunshine and roses, friends. But God's commandment to give thanks in all circumstances should provoke a question in us. Because when I read through this list of things, it's real easy to be thankful for the stuff on the front end. Baptisms, confessions of faith, seeing the Holy Spirit move and God's people respond. That's real easy to be thankful for. But God is not commanding us to be thankful thankful for the circumstance he's calling us to be thankful in it and there is such a difference because in every single moment in the highs and the deepest deepest lows god is still sovereign he's still on the throne he's still in control he is still god and he is still good And if our thankfulness is always dependent on what is happening to us, rather than dependent on the one who is with us through it, then we've missed the reason for which we ought to be thankful. Because we can trust God's faithfulness. It's not just a lyric to a song. It's a confession of faith that is true. God's faithfulness is great. He has yet to break a promise that he has made, and he has no intention to begin right now. God is faithful. He is so faithful we can't fathom how faithful he is. And his word promises that he's faithful to us even when we are faithless. So when I had that really bad day, and I'm not really sure that God is all that anymore because he didn't do what I wanted or he didn't come through the way I asked him to or he didn't answer the prayer that I prayed in the way that I begged him to, God's still faithful because God is always at work for the good of his children. God redeems every broken piece of our life. He doesn't just pick up the pieces and say, oh, let me make something new. He says, while I'm in the process of making you whole, of putting the person that I created in your mother's womb back together the way that I knit you in the beginning, I'm going to take all these broken pieces and I'm going to make something extraordinary out of it. Because God doesn't just redeem you. He redeems all of your brokenness. He redeems all of the heartache. He redeems all of the hurt. He redeems all of the disappointment for something greater. We're not thankful For the thing that happens to us. But oh we are so thankful for the one who's with it through. it. Amen. Amen. Here's the problem. Maybe for some of you who've been here for this series. You feel like isn't this this choose joy sermon all over again. Aren't you just preaching the same thing you preached like two weeks ago. Aren't you telling me the same thing. And the answer is no. And I want to make it clear Why. When tough times come, when bad circumstances happen to us, God says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you endure trials of many kinds. James is writing this letter to the church. Hey, tough times are coming, but consider it all joy. Yeah, right. I don't have time in my day to be happy about this right now. But God didn't ask for our happiness. He asked for us in the middle of difficulty to choose joy. And choosing joy was always anchored in the hope that was coming. Because James went on to say, when you choose joy in the middle of a difficult circumstance, there's a, long-term, there's a long-term gain in this. And that is that you know that God will use this spirit of perseverance while you're pressing through to creating you endurance and character and ultimately hope. And it is the hope of heaven that brings joy to all God's people. So I can endure some stuff that's what Paul says light and momentary here on earth. It's temporary. Because I'm leaning toward the eternal. So it may get tough here. But my joy is not in what's happening to me. It's where I'm going and who I'll be with when I get there. This stuff is temporary. Our hope is eternal. Giving thanks and choosing joy are two different things. Choosing joy means I'm looking ahead to the hope that is coming and not the hurt that I am feeling. But giving thanks in all circumstances now becomes the outward expression of gratitude for God's goodness. Joy oftentimes happens on the inside. I make a concerted effort to choose that my attitude will be rearranged in the middle of my circumstance. I don't like it. I don't like how hard it is. I don't like what it's doing to the people around me. I don't know how long I'm going to have to be in it, but I choose joy because I know the hope that is coming. But giving thanks now becomes the outward expression of my confidence in the goodness and faithfulness of God to do what he said he would do. Totally different things that we're talking about because we can be thankful because we have joy. We can be thankful because God has given us the opportunity to choose the alternative between moping and complaining because how far did that ever get you? right? I don't know anybody that's been successful in overcoming grief because they complained enough. I don't know anybody that's ever overcome a trial because they griped enough. But I know lots of people who have endured through some of the darkest times of their life because they saw a hope ahead of them. And then, because they chose hope, even in the midst of the dark place, started talking about God's faithfulness and giving thanks for who He is and what He has done and what they believe He is going to do. Giving thanks is a present tense outward expression. Choosing joy is something that happens on the inside so somebody tell me how thanksgiving has now ironically gotten redefined as a season of cultural consumerism i mean how long ago did the black friday ad start like three weeks right we were in october and everybody was already giving you the best sale ever 80 percent off never will be better than this except for black friday but pretend you don't know that right like It's all about what we can get and not what we give. Oh, we'll talk about all the things we're thankful for. We'll sit at tables with our families and eat hordes of food that people in third world countries will never see in their lifetime. We will waste more in 48 hours than people could consume in a month. It's become, what can I get? And if you're not sure that this is true, please just watch the news. On Friday, videos of people getting trampled in stores to get the best deal on something, fighting over products, pulling and shoving, and little kids in the midst of the fray. Every year now, for over a decade, the headline news on Black Friday evening is who got run over at a Walmart, or somebody getting trampled in between doors. Ambulances lined up outside stores because we have turned a holiday that is supposed to be about expressing gratitude into hoarding greed. And so we wonder why maybe we don't get it. And then, even when real Thanksgiving gets expressed, even when really we're in that moment and we recognize all of the blessings that we have, so often Thanksgiving just comes verbally. And you've been taught this since you were little. In fact, I not throwing anybody under the bus, but I actually saw this happen uh, yet this week where somebody did something for someone and a parent leans into the child's ear and says, now what do you tell sister so-and-so, right? What do you say? Thank you, right? You've done it. Somebody taught that to you. It's polite. It's what we do. We express thanks for what we're given, but have you ever been on the end of a forced thank you? You know how much fun that is? thank you, you know, and then you look at the parent, glare at the child, and go, that's not the way you do that, right, right, you know what it's like to be on the end of somebody saying, thank you, because they have to, you know, it's like when a kid says they're sorry, they're sorry they got caught, not they're sorry they got in trouble, they're not sorry for what they did, they're sorry they got in trouble for it, right, it's the same deal, when you say thank you, because you have to, versus thank you, because you want to, it loses all its meaning, It loses all its value. Now it's become an obligation. Now it's become the expected reciprocity for what happens. And there's nothing coming out of the heart of who we are. And the problem is that that's translated from the way we do that with people to the way that we do that with God. God, we've been praying for this. We've been asking. We've been begging. And God responds. And we're like, I I mean, I said thank you in the moment. I have a friend who tells a powerful story about how God enabled she and her spouse in the span of 48 hours to raise enough money to adopt a special needs child that they had been praying for for a long time. And she had shared this testimony with so many people. And then at a recent point in her life, they were in great need of some financial support for a medical treatment for the child. And she was sharing with someone how concerned she was, how much anxiety and fear. And that person said to her, weren't you just the person that stood up in church a month ago and testified to the goodness of God and how he provided above and beyond your need because you trusted him? Did God change or did you? And I fear for us, coming up on a week where we just do the thing, People come, and hordes of food, and hugs and kisses, and man, I'm grateful for you, and oh, I'm so thankful for this, and I'm going to sing all these Thanksgiving songs because that's what we do in a season of Thanksgiving, that we've forgotten what it really means to be thankful. But more importantly, we've also forgotten what it means to give thanks. Because see, in the word Thanksgiving, there are two words. And we're decent at the thanks part. It might be obligatory, but we're decent at it. But we've lost sight of the giving part of thanksgiving. It's the part of the word that we struggle with a little bit. We will gladly tell God how appreciative we are for what he has done and all of the blessings that he has given, but we don't always show him with the same amount of conviction. Oh God, you're good. Man, look at what you've done for me. But then the expressions of that, this outwardness, right? Not the inward part, but the outward part. Where we, in an act of service or in an act of genuine generosity towards somebody else, we give because God has put us in a position to be able to do it. That's the giving part of thanksgiving that we've missed. And here's the bottom line. God appreciates our thanks, but he wants more than lip service. He wants life service. God doesn't just want verbal thank yous from his people. He wants it to show up in the way that we live He wants it to be expressions of the way that we give our time, the way that we give our resources, the way that we give. And listen, I'm looking at the faces of some people I know who have really limited resources. And I want to tell you that I'm not standing here talking about something I don't know about. Because in the last two and a half years, Steve and I know what it's like for both of us to be unemployed and not really sure how we would meet all of the demands that came to us. But I want to tell you, we continue to be faithful in the way that we expressed our thanksgiving to God for how good he had always been to us, trusting that he would meet our need. And sometimes it was an envelope stuck in the corner of our front door with just enough to pay a bill. But God always showed up. Because God doesn't fleet away and then come back at the nick of time. He is always with us. And when we trust him and start to live into thanksgiving, when we do the giving part of thanksgiving instead of just the thanks part of thanksgiving, when we start living into that in a real way, we open up the door for God to do things we never saw coming. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to live into the next level of my faith journey with God in that place. But it's not a new idea, this idea of life service. It's not just a catchy phrase that I'm going to give you, you'll walk away with and maybe remember. There's a place in the story of God and his people where he makes the point profoundly. The idea from scripture that God wants more than lip service from us comes all throughout his stories, but most specifically in the way that he started relating with this group of people called Israel that he chose to be his people. And maybe you know this story and maybe you don't, but God identified this people group and said, you're my people and I'm your God. And here's what the relationship looks like. And he gave some instructions. He said, there's lots of other gods that you could worship, but I'm going to be the only one. And here's what I want to do for you. And here's what I'm asking you to do for me. And so he gave some instructions for life. And maybe if you've been uh, reading a Bible ever, You've started at the beginning and you get to this book called Leviticus and you're like, I'm out, right? It's like blood and animal sacrifices and like tons of laws and instructions and you're like, this just got real weird. See you later, right? But tucked in the middle of all these laws that God is giving to his people, a way to live so differently from the rest of the world. Part of the reason God gave this instruction was because if I was just going to live like somebody else, then why choose this God? i got a hundred other I could choose from. But God said, if you're going to belong to me, this is what it's going to look like. You're going to live a little differently. You're going to respect your neighbor. You're going to value their life. You're going to value all life. You're going to make sure that the poor and needy among you have the things that they need. And when you offend me, when you do something that I've asked you not to do, that breaks relationship, I'm going to make a way for us to have restored relationship, which is where all that stuff from Leviticus comes from, except that tucked in the middle of all these laws about how people could atone for their sin or say they were sorry to God or deal with the guilt that they were feeling for a wrong that they had done, in the middle of all of it, God kind of tucks in this sweet little piece of information that he says, hey, listen, I actually care most about this growing relationship that you and I have. And you're going to see moments in your journey where I am exceedingly good to you, even though you didn't do any of the things we talked about. Because I'm God, and I can, and I love you, and I want to. And so God says, hey, in those moments, if you have this recognition that maybe, maybe in this relationship with me, you didn't expect me to do something that I did for you, And what wells up in you besides this awe of, wow, I didn't know God would do anything like that for me. If what wells up in you is this, I just want to say thank you, and I don't know how. God made a way, and he called it a peace offering. Now, if you were with us last week, we learned that peace, the word in Hebrew is shalom. And God promises us that when he gives peace, he gives it perfectly. He gives shalom, shalom. It's it's double peace. It's perfect. But God says, if there's a moment in your life, if there's a moment where I have shown up and you want to try to say thank you to the God of heaven who, by the way, owns a cattle on a thousand hills, so what are you going to give God, right? You, you struggle to find the perfect Christmas gift for somebody who has everything. What do you do for God? God says, listen, there, there's a way that you can respond to my goodness. There's a way that you can give thanks to me that honors me. And this is what he said. I want you to bring a peace offering. It's just your expression of thankfulness to the Lord for who he is and what he's done. And here's the beautiful thing. With every other offering in scripture, it had to be specific. For sin, for the atoning of sin and guilt, it had to be a lamb, a perfect lamb from the flock. For the peace offering, it was whatever you had to bring. So even if you had limited income, even if all you had was a dove to bring, you could bring a dove. You could bake some bread. You could bring whatever you had because it was just an expression of thanksgiving to God for how good He had been. And Scripture in Leviticus says that there were three kinds of peace offerings that you could bring. You could bring a free will offering, which was basically a, an offering that says, "God, I am so grateful for your generosity." Like you showed up in a big way for us this year. The weather was terrible. Our crop yield was bad. I'm not even sure we were going to be able to make all the payments we needed to make. And somehow, somehow, Lord, you provided for us. Then there was another kind of offering that that God's people could bring. It was called a vow offering. And it was an offering that was brought in fulfillment of a promise. And you all know about these kind of offerings, okay? Or at least the kind of promises. Where you promise God something if he will do something for you. You know those kind of prayers? Oh, God, if you'll just deliver me from this, I promise I'll come to church all next year, right? Or some such promise. Well, there was an opportunity when God had come through on a promise, or God had come through on a a vow that you had made, that in addition to maintaining the promise that you'd made to God, you could come and say, look, Besides the fact that I made you a promise, and maybe it was a little ridiculous because I was overreacting to my circumstance, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do. But I just want to honor you. I don't want to do this thing out of obligation because it's an A for B. Like, you did this for me, so I'm going to do this thing for you. I actually want to come before you and tell you, you are too good for me. You, You aren't just good to me. You are too good for me. I do not deserve how good you are to me. So a free will offering, a vow offering, and there was one other, and it was called a thanksgiving offering, and it was specifically given when God delivered or provided in a time of need. When Israel was out in the middle of battle, and they were under attack, and they were outnumbered, and they weren't going to make it. And God miraculously intervenes, and suddenly the tiny little army overtakes the giant horde. When tiny little David with stones in his sling knocks down the big old giant Goliath. Friends, that's deliverance from God, because there's no math that says a little man beats a big man in a fight ever. There's no math that says that that's gonna work out. The hand of God directing that one small stone to the center of the forehead of a nine-foot giant that causes him to fall to the ground and die. That's the intervention of God. And let me tell you, David was not short on Thanksgiving when that happened. Because he knew it had nothing to do with him. He prayed before he went into battle and he prayed when he came out of battle and he knew that the battle belonged to the Lord. Free will, vow, thank offerings. Can I tell you what a peace offering was not? When you have a fight with your wife and then you go buy some flowers to kind of smooth things over, that is not a peace offering. That's a, that's a let me pacify or placate you because I screwed up real bad. And by the way, it goes both ways. Sometimes ladies have to do that for gentlemen, too. In my case, it just looks a little more like food than flowers, right? So we have developed this idea that a peace offering is something that comes and Well, can I just make things okay between us? Like, would you just take this cake and pretend that we never had that fight? You know, I baked you a plate of cookies so that you'll forget we ever had an argument, right? That's not what these offerings are about. These offerings, tucked in the middle of all of this sacrifice language in Leviticus, God opens a window and says, Hey, listen, in a moment in your life where you've discovered that I'm as good as I said I was, and the the thing that wells up in you is gratitude, here's a way that you can express that to me. And there are countless stories then all through Scripture about how this happens. Hannah, the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel, who makes a vow offering to the Lord. If you will give me a child in this barren womb, I will give him back to you for a life of service. She makes a vow. And God miraculously intervenes and makes a barren womb full with child. But when Hannah comes back to the temple to bring Samuel with her after he's been weaned, to leave him there with the priest for a life of service, do you know that Hannah also brought something else? It wasn't a one-for-one. One. She didn't just say, I'm going to do this now because you gave me what I asked for, and so here's, here's A because you gave me B. She comes with another offering because she just wants to say, God, you're so good to give me the gift of being able to be a mother. It's all I really ever wanted. And I can gladly give my son into your service, but I also just want to tell you thank you. I'm just not keeping my end of the bargain. I want to do something more. Or a couple weeks ago, when we talked about the widow who came to the temple to put in her two lepta. After a rich man had come and just put in a small portion of what he had. And here comes this widow, and it's all she's got. And two lepta, friends, wasn't even worth what a penny is to us today. It was basically nothing. But it's all she had. And she came with an expression of thanksgiving. It was an act of worship for her. And Jesus calls his disciples and he says, you see what's going on over here? You need to know that that's what blesses the Father. When people come out of genuine expressions of thanksgiving and say, God, it's all I have. And I know it's not what he just put in. But I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you for how good you've been to me and for the fact that I even have two lepta in my hand to put in this offering. God, you're good. And so here is what I have to give to you. But perhaps my favorite, my favorite offering story comes from the Gospel of Luke. And I want to share it with you this morning so that you can understand the heart of God who loves when his people are thankful. From Luke chapter 7, the author writes, One of the men of the Pharisees had asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. And a certain immoral woman from that city had heard he was eating there, and so she brought a beautiful alabaster jar. Filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And she kept kissing his feet and and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus, catch this, Jesus answered his thoughts. Can we just put a pen in it for a minute and go, if you don't think that God knows what's going on in your thought life, you better think again. The man didn't say a word. He thought to himself, well, if he was really a prophet, he'd know who was touching him. This is not okay. And Jesus then answered his thoughts and said to him, Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. Well, go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. And Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could afford to repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling right here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You, you neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head. But she has anointed my feet with a rare perfume. And I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, Your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man? that he goes around forgiving sins. And Jesus said then to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go now in peace. Experience shalom. Experience what it means to receive the peace that only Jesus can give. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we give thanks for it. We give thanks. For the word, who tells us a story about a woman called immoral or sinful, or some of your translations might even say notorious. The woman had a reputation, and we have all, in reading it over time, scholars included, have assumed we know what her sinfulness is. We have ascribed to her the sin of prostitution. It's just implied or thought that this woman is a woman of ill repute in the city, a red light district lady, if you will. We've already decided who she is and what her sin is. And Simon is so concerned of the nature of this woman and the contact that she has with Jesus because when you are clean and you touch something that is unclean, it makes you unclean. You shouldn't be eating at a table, and you shouldn't be around other unclean people. So Simon's all wrapped up in this sense of um, social stratification. He's wrapped up in the sense of the inequality. Nobody's paying attention to the other radical moments in this story, like the fact that this woman came into a room full of men where she was not invited, where she was not welcome. She walked into enemy territory. Do you understand? She went into the house of a Pharisee who were happy to condemn everything she'd ever done and probably had a list of it all written down somewhere because they were real good at lists. She walked into enemy territory to be present with Jesus because she loved him so much. Because they saw what she had done but she saw Jesus for who he was. Maybe she saw him for what he could do for her, but she saw him for who he was, and she brought an alabaster jar. It doesn't translate well in any context today, but the vessel alone that she brought was so rare that once the seal was broken on it, it could never be used again. Alabaster or gypsum was a very rare material, and so you only put the most expensive things in the most expensive vessels. The problem was we don't have a really good way to help you kind of understand. You know, I could tell you it's like when you buy a Lexus and you only put 93 gas in a Lexus because it's the best gas you can buy, right? It's not the same. She came with literally the most expensive thing that she could find. How it came into her possession, we don't have any idea. But the point is it was the singular thing in her life that cost her the most. If it was true what we've assumed about her reputation, we only can imagine how many nights of work it cost her to buy what she had. But she came into the room and she broke the seal and she began pouring it all over Jesus' feet. It was a common act in that day when you had a guest in your home because everybody wore sandals and everything was dirty. That you provided them with a basin and a towel. And if you had a servant in your home, that servant would wash their feet. As the host, you typically could not because it would make you unclean if you were about to serve a meal. That became a problem. But you always offered your guest a chance to clean up. It's like inviting someone to go use the restroom and wash their hands before they come to the dinner table. Simon didn't bother to do any of that for Jesus. It was all show. I'm a Pharisee. Come sit in my home. Come sit down. You man who thinks you're a prophet, let's have a conversation. And in walks this woman into enemy territory and does the most radical thing that anybody's ever seen. She takes the most expensive article, perhaps more expensive than something Simon had in his own home, breaks it open, and dumps the whole thing on Jesus. Which means that the aroma permeates the room in such a way that nobody can avoid it. Do you understand? The smell is so strong That it's moving through the room in such a way nobody can get away from the fact of what's happening in front of them. It's not just that they see with their eyes, they're seeing with all of their senses, and they're overwhelmed because nobody can process what this really is. Simon and the other people at the table are ridiculously overwhelmed. Mark's gospel says that somebody gets mad because of how wasteful it is 300 denarii to purchase something like that. That's a year's worth of wages poured down the drain. And Jesus is like, no, you don't get this at all. This is the most generous gift I've ever received. It's an act of extravagant thanksgiving. Because she didn't just come and say, here, Jesus, I want you to have this jar. Here, Jesus, this is the most expensive thing I I own. I want you to take it. It's all I have to give. She put it into use. The giving had an action behind it. I didn't just show up and give you lip service and hand you a wrapped gift and say happy birthday and walk away. I came and I, I used it in service for you. And Jesus said, she's anointed me. She's bathed me. She's greeted me with a kiss. She's kissing my feet. She's weeping. She's wiping my feet with her hair. Every single thing she did was an act of love. Her tears were a gift, by the way. Because sometimes you're so overwhelmed with a blessing that all you can do is cry. There's no shame in that. And as Jesus looked at this woman and responded to her in front of all of these men who were criticizing and complaining and privately in their minds pointing fingers at her, Jesus just says, I see you. I see you and I see this gift. Thank you. Thank you. Scripture says she did it because she had much love for him. And in much love, she brought a thank offering. She brought a free will offering. Perhaps it was a vow offering. We don't know what kind it was, but it was an offering. And it came as an act of peace. And in receipt, Jesus spoke peace back to her. Your sins have been forgiven, now go and experience the shalom that you came for you and i jesus says we're good love was her motivation and god desires that we in our love for him when we are so overwhelmed by his love and words are sometimes not enough that we show him our love we bring him something And we use it in service to him. And maybe that's a talent that you have. Or maybe God's been abundantly generous to you this year. And you want to return that as a gift to him. But weren't we all once immoral people? Before we knew Jesus, weren't we all notorious? Didn't we all have reputations? Weren't we all sinful? Wasn't there something present in you that you were ashamed about? And Jesus came and took away the shame? What has been your response to God's forgiveness of your sin? I'm not just talking about all the other blessings that come when you're in relationship. I mean just the gift of salvation alone. Where God says all that stuff about your past. I've wiped that slate clean with the blood of Jesus. And you get to start over brand new. The old is gone. The new has come. Here you are. Are you thankful? And if you are, what did that look like? Or have you even shown him how thankful you are? Was it just the next box on the checklist to check off in this whole God and Jesus thing? Have you praised him? Have you returned with some extravagant act something to him that says, I can't pay you back, but I wish I could? This woman came and what she gave was thanks. She gave thanks with the most precious thing that she had, and what it made her was full. What it made her was full. I have come that you may have life, life to the full that Jesus said. And in that moment when she left that room with the peace of God and the forgiveness of her sins spoken over her, she left more full and richer than she came. She had more when she left than when she came. And I don't know about you, but I don't ever want to come into the presence of God and feel like I'm leaving with less than I came with. And God has promised you can always leave with more. Our words matter to God, but so does our giving. And God wants us to be thanksgiving kind of people. So I'm going to tell you what that application really looks like, and then I'm going to extend an invitation to you as we wrap up this morning. You've heard me talk about for a couple weeks this idea of a thank offering. It's something that's been a part of our worship life for the last six or seven years in the fellowships that we've been a part of. One specific Sunday when the leadership of the church says, you know what? God has been good to us. Maybe we're not making budget. Maybe we are. Maybe we've experienced some loss. Maybe we've had damage to a building. Maybe we've seen tons of people come into the church. Whether or not It's been a high or a low. We designate a day where we say, God is good to me every day. My attitude about my circumstance is not going to impact the goodness of God. God is good because God is God. So today, there's going to be a day in the life of our fellowships where we've just said, hey, listen, today's thank offering day. Some people brought jars of peanut butter. No kidding. One church that we served at had a food pantry, and some people brought massive jars of peanut butter because they knew every weekend people showed up and needed peanut butter. And because God had consistently provided food on their table for a year, somebody brought peanut butter. And one year, a family had lost just about everything. And so they brought coats and blankets because, in the midst of losing everything, God had still been there covering. And it became a physical representation because you know what? It's what they had. In thank offerings, God didn't say you have to bring me a lamb or you have to bring a goat or you have to bring a bull. He said you just bring whatever you have because it's your expression to me of how thankful you are. I can't tell you what to bring to me when you say thank you. That's up to you because it's your act of generosity toward God because of his goodness to you. So this thank offering that we're going to have next week is just an opportunity for you in whatever way to say God has been good So good to me. And even though I've been through some ups and downs, I have seen God's goodness play out in my life over and over and over again. And maybe this is the leanest season we've ever been in. But I'm still going to give thanks to God because I trust him. Because he's faithful. Because he's not yet broken a promise. And I believe he will come through for us. I don't know what that will look like for you. There was no agenda when God laid it on my heart, for us to have a thank offering, except for us to really experience what it's like to give thanks, not just lip service, but life service, that we might bring something. And so maybe for you, maybe for you, that's an above and beyond financial gift, because God's just put you in a position where you can do that. But I wanna tell you what that's gonna look like. Next Sunday, we're gonna have a very special time at the end of service. It's not a time where we bring regular gifts or or our tithe to the Lord. It's a special time at the end of service where we have the opportunity to say, because God, you have been good, here's what I have to offer. It's not much, but you know it means a lot to me, and I want it to mean a lot to you. Remember, that idea comes from Scripture. Paul was telling the church at Corinth, You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure because God wants a person that gives cheerfully. Don't come with a thank offering out of obligation. You're worried about people around here looking at you. Well, she didn't give up. She didn't give anything. I didn't see her do anything. I'm not interested about us staring at other people in the room. I'm interested about what it's like for you to live a thankful life before the Lord and to say to Him, You are good. And to say to him this, by this act, I trust you because I don't have this to give, but I'm giving it anyway because I believe that you will always provide for my needs. And so I look at this and I think I need it, but I feel the pull of your spirit to say, I need to let that go because you're going to replace it with not only that, but maybe something else. I'm going to trust you for it. I can't see it. I'd like to tell you exactly what I'd like in return. But instead, I'm just going to trust you for it. God knows your heart. He knows your means. He knows your needs. He knows all of it. And his call to us is to just live thankful and then watch him work. Don't focus on what you don't have, but focus on who you do have. I'm going to say it again. Don't focus on what you don't have. Focus on who you do have. Because the God of heaven is very present with you even right now. And if he has come that you might live life to the full. The expression of that fullness should be flowing out of us all the time. But just so that you know that this isn't really about next week at all. You know, next week is seven days away. But between now and next week, there are all of these days of the week where we can give thanks. All of these days this week where we could actually do something to show up and say, God, I have the gift of time. And so I'm going to show up on Tuesday for an hour and a half, and I'm going to help put food and turkeys in baskets for people in Wabash County who aren't going to have a Thanksgiving meal unless they come to First Baptist Church on Tuesday and get one. Right? Or maybe you have the gift of time, and you show up on Sundays once a month to help bag for Brown Bag Buddies to make sure that little kids go home on the weekends with food to eat because their free breakfasts and free lunches at school aren't coming for the next two days. Or maybe God blew you away this year with a yield you didn't expect, and you have some kind of financial gift that you can give with a joyful heart because you didn't know that was going to happen. Or maybe next week you walk out to the ministry fair and you say, look, I want to serve, and I don't I don't know where and I don't know how, but I know that God has given me a love for people, so maybe I could be a door greeter. Or, or, or God has given me the gift of hospitality, so maybe I could help in the kitchen. Or God has given me a love for kids, so maybe I could work a week in the nursery. This is not a financial pitch. This is not a manipulative statement for you to respond to some creative sermon. This is an invitation from God to experience what it means to live life to the full. And people who have full lives are brimming over because of it. People who experience God as wonderful and who are joyful in their attitude, who have the peace of God and are peaceful and rely on the goodness of God because he is plentiful. Those people who are that kind of full, they're not just to the rim, they're overflowing with the goodness of God. And people whose People for whom the goodness of God spills out, that kind of leaks out into the lives of other people. Being thankful is a visible expression of our gratitude for the goodness of God in our life. And so today as the worship team comes to close, I want to invite you just for a minute in the last year to just pause and consider a moment where you saw God show up for you Maybe it was while you were in recovery for a surgery and it took less time than you thought. Or or maybe you thought you were going to have to have surgery and then you didn't. Or or maybe you paid a bill that you didn't know how you were going to pay. Or at the end of the month, there was more food in the cabinets than you thought you would have left over. Or maybe somebody blessed you and paid for your meal and you didn't know who they were. Or maybe somebody put you in a position to be generous in a moment when you really didn't have generosity to express. I want to tell you, friends, if you, if you think, and not all that hard, you can find a moment in your life this year where God has been unreasonably generous with you. And I just want you to hold that thought for a minute. And know that the God of heaven didn't just do that for you. He has done that for every single one of us over and over and over and over again. And it's so easy to just say, Oh, thanks, God. That was nice. But what will show the world that God is who we say He is and He does the things that we say He does is if we begin to allow those expressions of generosity to flow out of us and that the gratitude that we express to God isn't just lip service, it's life service where we start living those things out. I don't want to just talk the talk, I want to walk it. When people look at my life, when people look at yours, we want them to see Him and not us. And the way that we do that is by becoming the people who are unreasonably generous and unreasonably grateful to an abundantly generous and grateful God. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close our time of worship today. And with that thought and remembrance of God's goodness in your mind, we ask you to respond not only in singing, but maybe today as the Spirit is prompting you, you've identified the thing that God wants you to do, to express your thankfulness to Him. If you need to speak with someone today before you leave in order to express your gratitude to them, make sure that happens before you leave. But most importantly, make sure that you're talking with the one that has made every generous act in your life possible. And consider then how he wants you to respond to him. Let's pray. God, you are um, incredibly good to us in so many ways. In the midst of dark times, it can sometimes be hard to count blessings, but you've given us so many. And God, we want to be like the woman who came giving the best that she had, extravagant, poured out, ridiculous generosity. Questioned by others, but unquestioning our love for you. God, may our response to what you have done for us be our alabaster jar. And may we bring it without hesitation in order to bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Consider what it would be like if Jesus came to Mount Carmel. Sometime this week he was sitting at somebody's table. And you had the ability to bust in on the dinner party. Say, look what I brought you. Not because you were showing off to anybody else, but because you knew he was in town for just a brief moment, and there was no way he was going to leave until you said, "You've been so good to me. Sorry to interrupt your dinner. Jesus is here." And I need to tell him, thank you. Friends, Jesus is at your table every day. You don't have to go to somebody else's house to find him, because he's right here right now. What kind of life will you live, hoarding all the blessings, hanging on to them, thinking that there won't be any more, or living open-handed and demonstrating thanksgiving by the way you live your life, because you know that he will continue to pour out his goodness to you. Please don't let a moment pass by when Jesus is at your table and you don't say thank you. It's not just a blessing we pray over the food, even though we call it giving thanks when we pray. It's the way we live. So go now into this city, into your sphere of influence, wherever you are. And be a people this week of thanksgiving. Find a way not to just say it with your mouth, but to live it out with your life. And then just watch and see if you don't experience a greater blessing by giving thanks to the one who has blessed you in abundance. You are so loved. Happy Thanksgiving. Now go be a thanksgiving people in the world. Amen.